I started this series, and the series is called Waiting for His Return. And I started this series with the fact that God had told me very clearly about eight, nine weeks ago now that it was uh, <clears throat> that I needed to tell the church, tell the virgins. When you think about the, ten par- the parable of the ten virgins, it refers to the church. And he said, tell the virgins it's time to gather up extra oil. And to me, that's a warning call. That's a, a preparation call. Uh, When you read the parable, it actually says that a message went out at midnight that the bridegroom was on his way. And there was a short period of time between when the message went out and the bridegroom returned. I believe that we're living in very, uh, in times that demand that we wake up and watch and look and see and be alert. How many of you would agree with me? Absolutely. It's sad, uh, during the week I read one article from uh, one of the leaders of the United Nations and he said we are at a very critical moment. We are literally on the edge of a third world war. Whether we are or we aren't, I believe it's more than possible. In fact, uh, I believe that, um, well, it doesn't matter what I believe. I believe... uh, What I I believe politically, what I believe is that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Can I get an agreement? I believe the signs of the times are very, very evident. But I preached to you about the ten virgins, and I touched it. I've touched it a couple of times throughout this series. And uh, it's written in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And the parable is laid out from verse 1 to verse 13. But I want to ask you all a question. How many of you know what was the last couple of verses or the last few things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24? You see, sometimes we lose the the, uh, continuity, the continuation or the full context of Scripture because the Bible is divided up into chapters. Now, when it was written, it wasn't divided up into chapters. Uh, chapters and verses are something that was given later uh, so that it would be easier to find a particular scripture, especially when you're using scrolls as opposed to a nice, compact, modern-day kind of Bible. You're flipping through the scrolls. It's a little bit difficult to find a passage of scripture. Uh, That was meant to be tongue-in-cheek, a little bit of a joke. But anyway, that went right over your head or under your feet. Doesn't matter. But they added chapters and verses for our benefit, so it would be a lot easier to find a particular scripture. Where was that again? Oh, yeah, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 13. But as much as that is a benefit, One of the things we have to be aware of and what I teach in Bible college is that to really get the context of a subject, you not only need to read the verses before and after, sometimes it's good to read a chapter or two before so that you're following the theme and catching the flow. And in this particular instance, What was said in Matthew 24, especially at the end of chapter 24, is absolutely connected to Matthew 25, verse 1. 
In fact, like I said, there was no chapter break. And in this instance, exactly the conversation really is a continuance, as it often is. And so I want to encourage all of you and just give you a heads up. It's very important, very wise if when you are reading scriptures and you're starting at a chapter and something is speaking to you, have a look at the chapter before and have a look at the chapter after so that you get a fuller picture of what the Spirit of God is wanting to converse with you about on a personal level. But I'm going to ask the question again, what does Matthew chapter 24 say? And so we're going to go there and we're going to start the message today with Matthew 24 verse 42 to 44. And I want you to bear in mind that this is like five verses before Jesus starts telling the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. So for today, I want you to just make believe there is no chapter division. It's one continuous conversation. In Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44, Jesus is talking about the end of the ages. He's talking about all the things that will happen around his return. And he says, therefore, keep watch. You know... If you're a watchman or centennial and you're put on duty to keep watch, the worst thing you could do is fall asleep. He says, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus is telling his disciples and anyone who was listening, you need to be alert. You need to be Uh, awake. You need to be sharpened. You need to be on your tippy toes in anticipation because you don't know the day that your Lord will come. But understand this. Understand this. So church, I'm going to tell you, I really want you to understand this next thing because what I'm about to say, Jesus said, understand it. And it's important because it is actually a principle that denotes how God works and how he works in regards to his coming, his second coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. This is the first time that Jesus coins the phrase like a thief in the night. And there are two things that we're going to find as we start looking today at scriptures relating to the return of Jesus Christ. Two things keep popping up constantly whenever this subject comes up. And the first one is that Jesus is coming back like a thief in the night. He just used an example. He says, if someone knew the hour and the moment that a thief would break into their house, they would never get broken into because they would be on on guard. He said, well, it's like this with the return of Jesus Christ. You don't know. But you need to act as if you're ready 24-7 because you never know when your Lord is going to return. Now you could say, well, why would that matter? Well, it matters when you flip the page and go to chapter 25 and you see he gives an example of 10 virgins 
five had extra oil and five did not. They all got a bit sleepy and when the sound came out, the bridegroom's about to arrive. They had fallen asleep, but only five had prepared and five were unprepared. Jesus says, I'm coming back like a thief in the night. And the word thief in this particular usage, there are several words for the word thief, but when Jesus referred to himself as coming like a thief in the night, the word is kleptos. And it means a thief who steals by stealth in secret as opposed to one who comes in the open with violence. Jesus isn't going to come like a, a thief who's going to stick you up with a gun and threaten to hurt you and harm you. But he is going to come when people least expect it. And so... The heart of God is not that you are diligent and on fire 24 minutes before he returns. The heart of God is that your love for him is constant and continual and that you always operate at a high level of passion for Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? And so, you know, the Bible says that even the son doesn't know when the father will tell him to return. So this is a huge secret. It is a huge secret. It is in the heart of the Father, and only the Father knows. The Bible says angels don't know, and the Son, who's going to be the one who returns, he doesn't even know the hour or day. And Jesus, the Son, is telling us, be on the lookout. Be alert. Be alive. Be aware. Be ready. Be prepared. Yeah. Amen. Keep going, Donna. I'll step aside. You preach, girl. Go on. Get up and preach. Come on now. Let me hear it. Come on. Give it to me. <laughs> now I want you to preach. <laughs> All right. So there are two concepts that constantly come up. The first is Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. He's going to come suddenly. And people won't be expecting it. The second thing that he constantly comes up, and I'm going to prove this to you in a moment. He's constantly saying, be ready. Be awake. Be alert. The word ready here in the Greek is hetoimos, which means ready and prepared. You notice this is Matthew 24, just before we go to chapter 25, and he talks about the ten virgins. And five were prepared, five were not prepared. And isn't it interesting that in the chapter before, a few verses before, Jesus is saying, you must be ready. You must be prepared. Wow. I don't want to be on guard and fall asleep the very hour that the enemy came to bring destruction. And nor do I want to be alert and alive and full of readiness, and then just before Jesus comes, I start to get really slack in my relationship with him and in my responsibility of serving him on earth. In Luke chapter 12, uh, Luke, now Luke was a doctor. He was not one of the 12 apostles. 
Luke was actually uh, commissioned by a wealthy man to research uh, Christianity. Now, Luke was a born-again Christian, and so was this wealthy man. But if you look at the first chapter and the first verse of Luke, you will see Luke actually introduces the fact, I, I have done as you've requested, I have researched the facts. Now, Luke is extremely detailed, and I don't have time to prove that this morning in my sermon, but Luke points out things even in the book of Acts, and he uses terminology that was sometimes specific to one city and only one city. And for years, people have said, oh, Luke, you know, he uses this word in the Greek. It's never, ever been used anywhere else in history. Uh, Luke's not reliable. No, actually, Luke is extremely reliable. He was a doctor, and he was very, very educated, both in languages and in taking down information. In fact, archaeology just in the last 70 years discovered a city that was buried under another city and they found ruins and they found a title plate with the very word in question that Luke used about a, the title of a city official and he used it for that particular city and it was found in that particular city. And there is no reference to that Greek word anywhere else in the world or in history. So Luke is very accurate. And he was actually paid or commissioned for, uh, by this wealthy Christian man who wanted the facts of the story of Christ to be recorded so that they could be passed on so that he could have the volumes himself. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 1, it starts exactly the same way. But I, sound guys, I know I'm catching you by surprise. Would you do this for me? Give me Luke chapter 1 verse 1. And I just want to show the congregation, this is something that we touch on in Bible college so that, you know, in Bible college, I have the opportunity to go a lot deeper. Sunday mornings, I'm a little bit pushed for uh, time and can't always go as deep. Have we got Luke chapter 1? I know I sprung it on you. Give them a big round of applause. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us. Verse 2. Sorry, I only told you verse 1. Just, you got to be ready. <laughs> They're doing a brilliant job. But they know what, Pastor Rob, you just got to be ready. They never know what I'm going to do with them. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I'm sure most of you never noticed that before. That, that's the opening of the gospel of Luke. And to use the term most excellent usually was used in those times to a very wealthy person or more in particular a person of high status of public uh, governorship. And so Luke, as a doctor, as one who is very intelligent and familiar with languages, very detailed, 
He was commissioned to put together the story of Jesus Christ. And Luke himself says, I have researched this. I have been extensive on this. Now, guys, if you would turn to Acts chapter 1, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's great to just have some interesting tidbits, even though this isn't the meat of the message. How many of you are finding this a little bit interesting? Right. So let's do Acts chapter 1, and uh, we may have to read a couple of verses, but in his introduction, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and you'll see he again addresses Theophilus. He says, in my former book, which was that? The Gospel of Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then we go into what happened on the day of Pentecost, and then... Luke starts to follow the history of the church, and he's writing this all down so that the message and the history of the Lord's gospel would be kept intact. So Luke, having researched this, we just read Matthew 24, Luke now is commissioned, and he goes back, and he starts interviewing all the disciples. And he interviewed Peter, he interviewed Mark, in interviewed Matthew, and he brings together a fuller picture. One of the things you'll find about the, the gospel of Luke is that Luke often has a lot more details about the situation because that's the personality that he was. Matthew was very descriptive, but Luke, being a doctor, got information from Peter, he got it from Matthew, he got it from John, and he put it all together because he was commissioned to get the facts down and write it so that we would have it forever and ever for posteria. All right? Uh, so here we go. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, he picks up this conversation, and this is what he says when he's talked to all the witnesses that were present, and he writes it down, and he says, Jesus is talking, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. Keep your lamps burning. Isn't that interesting? Remember Matthew 24? Then Luke 25, he's talking about virgins with lamps, and some had extra oil and some didn't. Here's Luke repeating the story that Matthew recounted, but with greater detail. Because that's who Luke was. He was a detailed person. How many of you here are detailed people? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you know detailed people? You know what I'm talking about too, right? <laughs> All right. So he says, um, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants 
whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you. Now, whenever the Bible says truly, whenever Jesus used the word verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, it is a double emphasis. It means that this is a statement that is irreplaceable and irrevocable. And so Jesus says, truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. When the master comes back, he will dress himself to serve, and he will have his servants recline at the table, and he will come and wait on them. Here's another example of servant leadership. Of oh, the world could only catch this concept. We wouldn't have tyrants anywhere. Servant leadership. It's amazing how just little simple things from the gospel are powerful things that would revolutionize the way society actually is lived out. If everyone who was a boss and everyone who was a politician, everyone who was a governor, everyone who was a senator, everyone who ever took the office of president understood that their primary job was to first be a servant of the people and to the people, we would live in a very different world. The simple things, the by-the-way things, the almost insignificant things of God would turn our world upside down. You wonder why I get excited about this book. This is my life. I mean, everything you could want is in this book. Praise God. Donna, I'm so glad you're sitting in the front row. Keep, keep it loud. Keep it coming. Galen could sit halfway back and I still hear him. Pastor Steve is often in the back row and he says to me, Dad, did you hear me today? Sorry, Steve, I don't normally hear you, but I believe you. I believe you because I know you. I know him. See. All right. So Luke goes on and he's telling the story. Isn't it cool? Luke is telling the story, and he gathered up more details. And Jesus said, the master will return, and he's going to put on his servant outfit. And then the servants will sit at the table. And he's going to feed them. Listen, I don't deserve this amazing grace, let alone all the riches and the rewards that are to follow. Remember when Jesus said, Peter, sit down, I, I need to wash your feet. And Peter says, no, 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 you can't wash my feet. You? <laughs> no, I can't let you wash my feet. I should wash your feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, you can't be part of me. And then Peter says, wash all of me. Get my underarms, everything, you know, get in between the toes. Peter was a character. He was real and he was a character. So Luke is writing, he says, truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, 
he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour you didn't expect him. You see, the worst thing that could happen is that suddenly you get lazy and fall asleep and you're caught unawares. Now listen, we, we, we could ready ourselves and live diligently because we don't want to miss the return. Can I appeal to your heart and to your sensibilities and say, let's live ready. Because there's never been a love like Jesus Christ. Amen. No one will ever love you like him. No one will ever be faithful to you like him. I have been unfaithful. But he has never been unfaithful. He is always faithful. In fact, his constant love and undying affection is what softens my heart. And I love him more today because of all the stupid mistakes I made. And when I come to him, he keeps showing me grace. When I repent, he embraces me, he picks me up, and he loves on me and reinstates me. And I love him more because of how wonderful he is. Yeah, thank you. You see, I want to be ready because I want my life to be one continuous fireball of passion in response to the love that God showed somebody who didn't deserve it. And to this day, of my own efforts, I don't deserve what God has in store for those who trust on him. Amen. Can I get an agreement? Anyone here like me? <laughs> you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you don't expect. Peter asked. Now, remember, this is Luke. So Luke goes around. He's interviewing everyone. He's getting all the facts. Very meticulous, Luke. And he writes, which Matthew didn't write, Peter asked. Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Now, what's interesting that, about the fact that Peter pipes up here, uh, what, what's interesting about it is that many years later, Peter, Peter didn't forget what Jesus said. I, I, I think it actually really shook him to the core. Jesus is saying, I'm going to return, and I'm going to serve those who have been my servants, but you need to be ready. You need to be on your best game every day of the week. You need to be really living a passionate, a fulfilling relationship with me when I return because I'm coming like a thief in the night. And Peter says, are, are you talking to us too? I mean, aren't we the elite? I mean, didn't I make it? I mean, I'm right there with you, right? It must have shook Peter to the core, especially, and I don't have time. Read the answer Jesus gave him. That's homework. It'll knock your socks off. I don't have time to go there today, but I know it's stuck in Peter's heart. Why? 
Because many years later, Peter hadn't forgotten what Jesus said. In fact, 31 to 32 years later, when Peter was writing his second letter, 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 10, he coins the same phrase, and this is what he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You see, two things keep coming up, and I'll show you, I'll prove it. Number one, Jesus is going to come back. We'll, we might know the season. Look, there have been many times throughout church history the church thought Jesus was about to return. And there'll be many look-alike moments. Number one, because the devil will always push his hand as far as he can. And number two, while we can have a sense that this is it, only God knows when it's it. So my appeal to you is to live ready and passionate purely because Jesus deserves our unfading and unwaning affection. Amen. This doctrine of the thief in the night and being ready became so much of an established understanding when uh, in end times church theology that even the apostle Paul who got saved numerous years after Jesus' personal ministry on earth he even refers to it and coins it and uses the same phrases. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 to 8 Paul says now brothers and sisters who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? This morning, he's talking to you. You're the church. This is the eternal, ever true word of God. He's talking to me right now. Every time I read this, he's talking to Rob Scarallo. Every time you read this, he's talking to you. Don't read the Bible like it's just a book about the past. Read the Bible like it's God's love letter to you. Amen. You'll fall in love with it when you realize it's God's letter. He is talking specifically to you. So Paul says, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So, thief in the night. Verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief in the night. You are children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Now he's talking about being ready. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. What's Paul saying? Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night. And we need to be awake and sober and living a fired up Christian walk. 
It's so important, this whole concept, these two things that keep coming up, it's so important, Matt, that 90 AD, 60 years after Jesus died, the Holy Spirit catches John the Apostle up into the heavens, and while he's up in the heavens, he's seeing these visions, and he's writing everything down, and we have what is called the book of Revelations. 90 A.D., 60 years after Jesus said this stuff, he beams John up and gives him a panoramic world history view of what's going to go down. And watch this. In Revelations chapter 3, Jesus says to John, and he writes this down, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Wow. All of a sudden, this parable of the ten virgins, we see that the elements of this parable, the truth that it says very discreetly, very casually, almost innocently, are truths that are reiterated throughout the Word of God, and so much so that 60 years after Jesus actually said it, he beams John up and he says, write it down, John, because some people will fall asleep sleep. Some people will get casual. Some people will get careless. Some people will get lazy. And I don't want anyone to miss the day of my return. When I come back, I want to come back to a church that's on fire. I want to come back to a church that's shouting amen, jumping in the aisles. I want to come back to a Christianity that is making a mark in the world. Yes! And then in Revelation 16, verse 15, Jesus says it again to John. Look, I come like a thief, blessed to be envied, to be uh, filled with great joy, is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. I'm coming like a thief. Blessed are the ones who stay awake because the ones who don't will get careless and slip in a sin and be ashamed. Church, I want to emphasize the fact I don't, I don't follow a sermon outline, a book where pastors go to get sermons. I take this my role, my calling. While the common term used for someone like me is he's the preacher, I really feel like I'm the prophet who goes into the inner room and says, Dad, what is it you want to say? And I treat it that seriously. And I'm preaching this series because God put it on my heart. And two years ago, the end of 1999, when I was looking for the Lord for a great exciting word of expectation for 20, the year, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, 
in uh, uh, 2019, at the end of 2019, when I was looking for an exciting word for 2020, I kept coming out of prayer meeting with a very distinct knowledge. Things aren't good. And they're not going to get good soon. And I started 2020, and I didn't have a, 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 a cry for the church, you know. Come on, in 2020, we're going to see the Lord has plenty, <laughs> or something like that. And I, I came to, into the new year knowing in my heart things weren't right. And we're going to see some unpleasant uh, things unfolding. And haven't they been unfolding? Absolutely. And when COVID first passed, you know, we all started to get excited. The first bout of COVID. And the Holy Spirit told me very clearly, it's not over. And then we've seen demonstration look peaceful demonstration is one thing but when bad actors get into a good idea and they use it for their own gain it messes it up for everybody and we saw confusion right across america and devastation it looked like we were a war place and then a, a variant of covid came and another variant of covid came and we went We've gone from one crisis to another. And then we start hearing the rumblings of war. China wants to take Taiwan. Uh, uh, Russia wants to take Ukraine. And we're watching these things unfold. I preach what I'm preaching today. And I can say to you, and I don't, this is not something I say lightly. I don't use this often. In fact, I am very, very rarely would I say this. Thus says the Lord. I know that this message and this series is coming from the heart of God. And he's telling us a sound is going out at midnight. The bridegroom's not that far away. Now, do I know? Is he coming in 12 months, 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? I don't know. I'm not going to go beyond what God has said. Sometimes people get a whisper from the Lord and then they write a whole book on it and everything else is wrong but the whisper was right. And sometimes we want to make ourselves look bigger and better and more important because God gave me volumes. Well, I'll tell you right now, maybe I'm not that important. But I'm going to say what he said and I'm not going to embellish on it and I'm not going to go beyond the word of the Lord. But he told me very clearly nine weeks ago, tell the virgins to start gathering extra oil. He will come like a thief in the night, and we need to be on fire for Jesus Christ. Come on. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? How many of you want to be on fire with passion, full of the Holy Ghost? I don't want dead religion. I want a relationship that's got all the goosebumps. Hallelujah. Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. We finally flip the page. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. They got their little salvation card. Yeah, five years ago, 20 years ago, 
a year ago. Listen, relationships don't last because of what happened 20 years ago. Relationships last because what you do today. Hello? Amen. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming. So far, it's been 2,000 years. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. This is the very thing Jesus warned. He's not going to tell you the moment he's coming. He doesn't even know. Because then we'll stand guard to make sure the thief doesn't rob us. You see, every soldier believes in God when he's in a foxhole. But does he believe God when he's stateside and on the golf course? We don't want to be Christians who only go to church, and we don't want to be Christians who only believe in God when we desperately need a fix from the situation we're in. You see, we want to be Christians who are in this relationship like a marriage. And we want to make this marriage the best thing because we knew the potential it had when we got into the marriage. And it doesn't matter what it looks like in the middle or towards the end. The question is, if it had that potential in the beginning, the potential is always there. What are you doing day to day to keep it alive and keeping the fire on fire? Amen. Absolutely. So my question to you today as I start to conclude this message is, what are you doing in the waiting? I think Jesus is coming extremely soon. But I can't tell you God said. I can tell you he's coming soon. But that aside, I will tell you as your pastor, as your shepherd, I will tell you as a man of God, and I will tell you just mano a mano, man to woman to young person, I will tell you the truth. Whether he's coming tomorrow or in 50 years' time, the signs are there, but Jesus is worth being passionate about every breathing second of your life. Hallelujah. I don't want to be the bridegroom who brings roses just the morning of an anniversary. I want to be the bridegroom who's spicing it up in the kitchen, who's spicing it up in the living room, who's spicing it up in the bedroom. Yeah, because we need to get intimate with Jesus and we need to get into that holy sanctified place hallelujah I don't want to be the bridegroom who remembers what they loved about their first love when it's a birthday I want to be the bridegroom who remembers what he loved about his first love every day of the week am I telling the truth amen what are you doing in the waiting? Are you wide awake or are you drifting off? Or are you deep in the land of Nod, cutting logs? Wow. 
For a minute, I thought you were prophetic. <laughs> Can I remind you, Jesus said in Revelation 16, 15, look, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, remains clothed, doesn't find themselves naked and embarrassed. The word awake in the Greek is Gregorio, to be awake, on the alert, to be vigilant. How do we get extra oil? By keeping this relationship on fire. How do we get extra oil? By living a, 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 a Christian life that is vigilant, purposeful, committed, passionate in your relationship with Jesus Christ. How, how do we get extra oil? By going the extra mile. How do we go, get extra oil? By taking extra time to pray. How do we get extra oil? Listen, to me, extra oil is just an everyday part of living a vibrant, vitalized, excited, charged up, pumped up, ramped up life with Jesus Christ. If you're living your relationship to the max, you've got extra oil. But if you're taking your loved one for granted, if you're forgetting uh, them except for special occasions, you're running low on oil. And as it is in the natural, so it is in the supernatural. As it is in the natural world, it is in the spiritual world. Listen, I am one or part of the bride of Jesus Christ. Now, as a guy, I don't always love the idea of thinking that I'm a bride. You know, I want to wear the tuxedo. But I understand the imagery. I'm married to him. Better than that, I mean, I married up. I don't know what he was thinking when I came along. But I married up. And I want to keep this thing up. He is the love of my life. He marvels me constantly. I, I'm constantly blown away at how much he loves me. How much he's willing to forgive me. If I'm willing to acknowledge when I'm wrong and I open up to him, the intimacy of that relationship doesn't get cold, it gets hot. I have found that with Jesus, he wants me to be real and he wants me to be honest and he doesn't want me to fake it. And so when I mess up, I'm quick to tell him, you don't deserve this, I'm sorry. I've disappointed you. I've hurt you. And I don't, I don't want the sun to go down. What does the Bible say about a marriage relationship? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We let the sun, we let the months, we let the year, we get the decade to go down on our relationship with Jesus. And I'm telling every one of you, if you're a husband and you just come to church with your wife, I got news for you. You need to get a relationship with Jesus and you need to be on fire for God. Amen. And if you're a wife 
and you let your husband do it and you know you're not into this here you need to get a relationship with Jesus your marriage to your man doesn't make your marriage to him the bomb Men, your marriage to your wife. Oh, she's a good Christian. Yeah, I come to church with her. I even carry her Bible. I'm not ashamed to carry her Bible when we are walking from the car to the church. Your relationship with your wife does not guarantee your relationship with the Lord. God doesn't have second-hand relationships. I had to learn as a preacher's kid that Though I was a preacher's kid and a missionary's kid, and I was fourth generation spirit-filled, I was a sinner, and I had to come to Jesus, and I had to love Jesus for who he is and for what he's done for me. Amen. Isn't that right, Lydia? We can't come in to the kingdom of God on our parents' coattails. It doesn't matter how much they pray or how godly they are. Each one of us have got to find our own relationship because each one of us is called to be a bride to him. And this is a marriage that I want to go the distance. Can I get an amen? So gathering up extra oil is about living purposeful, committed, passionate. So I'm going to ask you this question. Are you taking midnight walks and serving up breakfast in bed in your relationship with the Lord? Are you living your life with Jesus with spontaneous acts of affection? Or is your marriage to Christ heading towards the divorce courts? Quickly, I'm going to give you a couple of signs that your first love isn't your first love anymore. Sign number one, when it's an effort to read your Bible. Have I told you I love this book? This book talks back to me. It doesn't just have instructions for life. This book, forget about artificial intelligence. I've got the source of supreme intelligence. This book will talk to me in the moment about what I need and what I need to hear. It is amazing how written pages, uh, you know, fibers of wood pressed into paper and ink suddenly comes alive through the Holy Ghost and God is standing before me and he's talking to me off the pages of this book. One of the first signs that our first love isn't our first love anymore is when reading the Bible is a drudge. It's an effort. It's work. I love reading the Bible because God is talking to me. The Holy Spirit starts to show me stuff. Yeah, there have been times, there have been many times where I've allowed the excitement to wane. I've watched too much TV and, you know, I, I, I've got interested in a hobby. And, yeah, I don't feel like reading my Bible. Sure. Why am I preaching this? Because most of us are like the rest of us. And I know how easy it is to get sidetracked. And I don't want to lose the greatest love of my life. Hallelujah. I don't want to lo lose this awesome relationship. I want to keep it charged up, plugged in all night long. Signs of your first love isn't your first love anymore. It's an effort to read your Bible. It's an effort to pray. It ain't an effort to pray. 
You say, oh, Pastor Rob, come on, that's hard. No, not when you understand prayer. I'm talking to Jesus all the time. I'm not on my knees all the time. I'm not in a prayer meeting all the time. I, I have conditioned myself that when stuff goes wrong, you'll hear me. When stuff goes wrong and my flesh wants to react, you'll hear me say, praise God. Pastor Carlos has written down about 13 definitions to my praise gods. He, he, rec he has come to recognize, yeah, praise God. When he says praise God like this, it means this. When he says praise God like this, it means that. And uh, he often teases me about it. But you know, I get in bed at night, and as I'm laying on the bed, I find myself just spontaneously saying, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I really do. I appreciate you. You see, that's prayer. Now, I do have times where I will cloister myself for a half hour, an hour, sometimes in prayer meetings. I might even pray two hours or, or so. But I'm praying. I'm talking to him all the time. When you understand that prayer is dialogue. <laughs> Let me ask you all a question. You think Pastor Rob enjoys preaching? Do I look like I enjoy it? Yeah, I do enjoy it. There's nothing I can enjoy more than taking something my father's cooked up and serving it. It makes me look good. He cooks it up, I serve it, and I look good. I enjoy it. I enjoy talking to him. How do I preach? I talk to him. He talks back to me. I talk to him not only when I need something, I talk to him spontaneous acts of affection. Dad, you're awesome. I love you. I see a beautiful scenic view for a moment. I'm driving along. I say, God, your creation is incredible. I see something ugly, and I see how humans are treating humans, and I think of what eternity is going to be like, and I say, Jesus, I can't wait to be with you forever and ever and ever. Signs that your first love isn't your first love anymore when it's an effort to pray. And number three, when it's an effort to go to church. Listen, you may not realize this, but when I come here to church, I'm working. But it don't feel like work. You see, I love this. I love when we get together and we worship. And when people are out the front and the presence of God is coming down and Guys and girls are getting excited, dancing. They're weeping. They're on their knees. Some are half laying across the steps. I think, God, this is the only thing better than this is being in eternity with you. David said it like this. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to have 10,000 years anywhere else. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. I close with this. There's one more thing Jesus said. Remember, he's going to come like a thief, and he said, you have to be ready. To emphasize that, he also said, can you put the, the, the last verse up? 
because I don't have my book in front of me. The very last verse. Very last verse. There you go. Luke 17, 24. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left behind. Two women will be grinding grain together or pushing shopping carts in Walmart. And one will be taken, and the other will be left behind. You see, you can't get to heaven on Shahara's relationship. You have to get to heaven on your relationship with Jesus. And you can't get to heaven on Joe's relationship. And Joe, you can't get there because of her relationship. And every husband and wife that's listening, and to the husbands who think, I could never go to church, I've sinned too much, there's only one sin that God can't forgive. It doesn't matter if you ran a prostitution ring. If you repent, God can forgive that. The one sin he can't forgive is when you refuse to accept him. It's the only sin he can't forgive. Do you know one of the men who mentored me, a pastor, who took me under his wing, one of the guys, my dad was one of my mentors, but one of the pastors that I got to serve under, he was Italian too. This was back in Australia. And before he got saved, he used to run a little prostitution house. And then he found Jesus. And his whole life changed. And he became a preacher. So don't tell me the, you know, the church will fall down if you come through the doors. No. Heaven will start to shout and stand up and clap. Amen. Amen. Every man and every woman, we stand before him individually. And that's why every one of us individually have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever understand. He loves me more than I understand. My love's not as big as his. That's why sometimes I fail. But his love keeps picking me up. You see, I've gotten to the point, Brian, where when I mess up, he's the first one I go to. Because I will get understanding and compassion from him. I go to him. Adam and Eve... The second mistake they made was that after they sinned, they ran and hid from him. I have gone full circle and I've come to realize when I screw up, the best place to go is straight to him. Nobody will love me more. Nobody will understand me more. And when I'm humble and I stop making excuses and I'm willing to be accountable, nobody will lift me higher than Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me? There's going to be a wedding. I hope every one of us will be part of that wedding. We're the bride. He's the group. And he's coming back to have a wedding. And there's going to be a banquet. Do you know that? God 
Look, a proud daddy, when he marries off one of his daughters, he spends a lot of money and he puts on some kind of a throwdown feast, man. I mean, it's huge. Do they do that among the Greeks? Of course they did. My Greek wedding? Yeah. I saw the movie. How many of you saw the movie, right? It's like an Italian wedding, too. And Windex really is good for everything. You have to have seen the movie. Um, <clears throat> but God's going to throw a wedding. And it's going to be a banquet to eclipse any banquet. It's going to be a party. But he wants a bride who's attentive to him. He wants a bride who fawns over him. Who loves to be with him and around him. And my heart, Scott, I, I go through ups and downs. And so it's not there 24-7 all the time. But I've conditioned this thing enough so that when I notice, hey, I'm drifting, I reel myself back in. And I start to think of all the wonderful ways that he loves me and how undeserving I am. Why would I want to lose this relationship? Nobody gets me like he gets me. Nobody will get you like he gets you. And yeah, I'm a guy. I'm a man, and I like to be macho. And in my younger days, we would, for fun, for sport, we'd hit the fields at lunchtime in school, and all the guys in the class, we'd get into one big brawl. And I would beat them all up. I'm every bit a guy. But he can melt me and make me weep. And I'm not ashamed. No one has affected my heart the way he has. I know the bonehead that Pastor Rob can be. I know the secret, silly decisions that I can make. But no one deserves love like Jesus. And he wants his bride to be excited about him. He wants his bride to be in love with him. We need to be ready. And we need to keep pulling our heart back to center and center is Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. While we get ready to go, if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, today, He is sitting on the edge of your lap hoping that you will let Him come into your heart. Say yes to Jesus. And if your heart has gone cold and you've walked away, Now's the best time to jump in and say, Jesus, I slipped away. I walked away, and I am so sorry. I want you to be Lord of my life. So everyone, close your eyes right now. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, and you can feel the love of God tugging on you, something strange and, and yet wonderful, come on, put your hand up. And say, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. Who's that person right now? You've never asked Christ in your heart, but you want to invite Jesus in your life. Quickly raise your hand. 
If you're at home watching through live stream, then you raise your hand. Raise your hand. It's God who has to see you, not me. Amen. Those of you who want to make a recommitment, maybe you've backslidden, you've come to church today, someone dragged you along, you don't know why you're here, but wow, the preaching, the Spirit of God has just started touching you. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you want to go the distance, on fire, full of the Holy Ghost, revving up the earth with Jesus before he comes back. Come on, put your hands up if you want to live like that. Father, I thank you right now. Come, Holy Spirit. This is a bride that's hungry. This is a bride who wants to serve you. This is a bride that wants to do your will and make you happy. Jesus, Pour out your Holy Spirit. You said when you go, you would send your Holy Spirit. Let wave after wave after wave of your precious Holy Spirit bathe us, drench us, baptize us, fill us, soak us, wet us. Let our lives be a jar of oil full of your Holy Spirit. Draw those that might be drifting. Draw those that might be cold. Cause every one of us, of us and each and every one of us to be center with you. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, God. Now work through us and use us and help us to be the witness and help us to be the testimony and help us to keep this relationship with you at its best place, on fire, plugged in, charged up, and ready to go. And everyone said, amen. 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 Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Amen. 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 Jesus is coming back soon. There's going to be a wedding very, very soon. I'm ready. I'm always in for food throw down, aren't you? Yeah. All the foodies said, amen. All right. Hug someone, love on someone, greet each other in the Lord. Bless one another. God bless you and may his spirit enrich you and invade you in Jesus' name.